and this and this and this and this is Tofen Beam for the TB test. Test, 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 test. What's good, son? What's Gucci Mane? It's your boy Beam back. Hey, I know you miss me, but I'm back here hey, for another episode of the TB Test, episode 21. Like it's Kevin Spacey on your bitch. Oh, ho, ho, bringing out the fucking number references. So he was out and about last week, but still listening to the pod. What's good, son? Not much, brother. It's good to be back. Glad to be back. Um, yeah, episode 20. We had the homie Zach jump in for the TZ test. Uh, he did a good job, and happy to have him fill in. But uh, don't get too comfortable, bro. Very simmer down. Yeah. It's the TB test for Beam. For, for sure. Like we said last week, no more bye weeks. We're just gung-ho every week. We ain't missing out on uh, any more episode weeks. Glad we were able to call in a reliever out of the bullpen. Uh, Zach nice. killed it. And I'm glad we had him on last week and not this week because, wow, the Steelers put it on the Browns, whooped their ass, but we don't need to talk too much about that. Or do we? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, that would have been fair. It would have been a little roast session if uh, he was on here. So we don't have to do it. I'll spare you since my team is pretty ass also. But, uh, yeah, glad to have Zach on it. Appreciate him. Um, Good episode, boys. Have to admit it. Yeah. And uh, as you may have seen in the description of this episode, this week, last week we had the guest host. This week we actually have a guest uh, that is another homie. He's actually a guest being interviewed this weekend. You may or may not know. The UFC has the biggest fight of the year back on the island. Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. So we wanted to get in. Our homie, JT Contrastano, former professional fighter, hear his story, get his perspective uh, being in the fight game and, you know, obviously breaking down the big fight that's about to happen this weekend. Pretty badass interview. Make sure you stay tuned. Yeah, JT was a man. Appreciate him. Great interview. Homie for sure. But I think, I mean, it's been a couple weeks since we've got on here, shot the ones and twos, and fucking... Uh, I got to hear about your honeymoon, man, because I think a couple weeks ago on the episode when we had Eddie on, I just, you were going uh, into Cancun, hitting a little tropical storm turned hurricane. I think you have a pretty fucking epic tale to tell, my dude. Let's tell the people. Yeah, I'll give a little synopsis, a little cliff notes for the people. Um, honeymoon, getting married, supposed to be fun, right? People said, oh, yeah, getting married's fun. Honeymoon is fun. Well, they were right, turns out. We had a blast. Cancun was dope. But the latter half of our trip was a blast. Like Toph mentioned on the pod, got into Cancun um, on Monday, October 5th in the evening time. We roll in. They're like, hey, it was a little rainy. A little tropical storm came through. It was raining when we landed. Um, Real wet. Real wet. Some wet-ass Cancun. And... uh, (laughs) We were like, oh, damn, like, whatever. And everyone's like, it'll clear up. Like, rain comes through. 
bounces out. It's Gucci. And I was like, nice. The tropical, the equator. It's meteorology. I get it. Things happen. Ain't going to stop me from having my Mai Tai. That's what you're thinking. Exactly. And uh, Michelada. That was my drink. But <clears throat> they're fire there, actually. I'll make you one. They, made them, they make them without Clamato. Just this, it's like a spicy beer. I'll make you one time. Make one for you one time. Tove, teach you a thing or two. Anywho. For the one time. So get in late, go to sleep, wake up in the morning. They're like, yo, another tropical storm's actually coming in. Uh, probably going to hit this evening. So it's Tuesday morning, Tuesday. They said uh, late night, you know, maybe Wednesday, early morning. Tropical storm's going to hit again. But it was super nice out. So we're like, whatever. We're going to hit the pool. We're going to make the most of the day. A little rain never killed nobody, right? You didn't go to Cancun to get fucked down. That's definitely true. Uh, so, yeah, we start start raging, doing our thing. M- met the neighbors, you know, down the down the lazy river at the resort. And they're from Houston. And they're like, ah, tropical storm, that ain't shit. You know, like, we from Houston. We lived through Harvey. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've done it all. And... Uh, so about noon time, this is like we're out there like at ten thirty in the morning, like starting early. Noon, it gets upgraded from a tropical storm to a hurricane category one. Me being, you know, from California, lived in California my whole life, California, never experienced a, a hurricane before. And my wife Alyssa, neither is she, so we were a little concerned, a little tough concerned, you could say. You guys freaking out at this point? Still by the pool? Are they telling you to get in? What's the scenario? So still by the pool, we're chilling, we're boozing. So they like, they stock your room up too with um, liquor. So we're we're making fuck yeah uh, screwdrivers at this point, but they stop serving alcohol in preparation for the hurricane. So they they just don't want a bunch of faded ass people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They don't want fucking people <laughs> acting a fool. It sucks when you're in it, but it makes sense from an outsider's perspective. So we're like, whatever we got straight kettle one in the room. Why not just make some orange juice screwdrivers left for leftover from breakfast? Like ma, not nah. And, uh, so I asked the, the Houstonians and I was like, yo, hurricane, what do y'all think? You know, category one. And this dude, he was he was a crack of old dude. Just had the one liners on deck. He's like, category one. You shit me, bro. That ain't shit. That ain't shit. <laughs> and he was just like cracking up. Like just continues to get faded. So I was like, ah, oh, this boy ain't tripping. I'm chilling. You know, we're chilling. Telling Alyssa, no worries. Maybe like three hours pass. It's like 3 p.m. at this point. We get a call from like our our room landline phone rings and they're like emergency meeting in the lobby at 5 p.m hurricane category hurricane delta it was funny because the tropical storm was tropical storm gamma and this was hurricane delta and my wife was in the sorority anyways uh she like anchored down (laughs) babe yeah we'll, we'll anchor down in our room so like uh category one hurricane has now progressed to a category four hurricane and it was the, come to find out, the fastest ever progression from a Category 1 to a Category 4 in the history of hurricanes. What you say, like three hours? Yeah, it was like three hours. I went from a 1 to a 4. So I pre- so what's your boy from Houston saying so now? I, I proceed to go out and like, hey, Brad, yell him down. He's still getting faded. Hey, uh, they said that Hurricane is now a Category <laughs> 4. And 
his demeanor completely changes. Was he like, oh, fuck. He takes off his sunglasses and he starts the sentence. And if you know someone starts a sentence like this, you know it's not good. I ain't gonna lie to ya. Category <laughs> four is pretty fucking scary, bro. And I was oh, like, shit. okay, we got an issue now. So they're like, pack a bag, pack all your shit up and just have it ready in case we have to evacuate. And I was like, oh, great. 2020, chalk it up. Bad luck beam. Bad luck beam. Um, anyways, we go to the, the hotel lobby. They give us a little debriefing. They're like, hey, it's all good. This, uh... You know, we're going to hunker down in the lobby, and it's like a big building. I have trust in it, you know, whatever. They're like, we're going to board it up. You're welcome to stay in your room if you choose to. You just got to sign a liability waiver, and also oh you're probably going to lose power and internet, and you're going to be out all on your own. So The lobby's got, like, fucking generators hooked up and shit? Yeah, or the lobby's, like, up on a hill, and it's fatty, and they have generators, and they're keeping the power and internet and everything on so yeah we're like we're posted covid doesn't exist there's hundreds of people jam-packed <laughs> into this lobby but Doing uh fucking macarena and shit yeah they start you know they're keeping it lively they're pl- they have a dj you know they're playing musical chairs whatever they're like oh it's gonna hit like around 1 a.m like we'll be fine in here they boarded us and like no exits boards covered on the windows um, I guess it slowed down coming in. So then it was like, oh, it's going to hit 3 a.m. And we're on Twitter, you know, checking out the news and shit. And every other resort in our vicinity evacuated. Bust all their people five hours inland. So we're, we're sweating a little bit. Like, have a little final destination uh, go through your head. People getting sucked out of the windows. Um, oh shit man your mind's going to some dark places that was actually Alyssa. she brought that up i was more like don't ruin my honeymoon you know i don't want like to get the airport to get destroyed and the resort to get destroyed and you know we just got here um and obviously like don't want the destruction of all the cancunians who live there um anyways luckily it weakened by the time it hit and it, there's a big reef in the ocean so it ended up lessening to a category two by the time it hit and it slowed down so it ended up hitting like between six and seven a.m i didn't sleep or shit obviously we're laying on like a plastic beach chair um <laughs> and it hits the boy from houston's like it's category two this ain't shit again <laughs> the dude from houston stayed he hunkered down in his room he didn't give a shit <laughs> I was like, damn, fool's ballsy signed the liability waiver and everything. But um, we pushed out, so we went to the lobby. Anyways, when boards got ripped off the windows, like two boards, two big, huge boards ripped off these like floor-to-ceiling windows. The windows were intact, but the boards covering them just ripped off. Flew so off. That was a little trippy. It was hell loud. But other than that, no harm, no foul. The lobby held it down. Um, we came to find out that that was actually built to withstand a hurricane, which made sense why they let us stay in there. But it did yeah. uh, cause some damage to the resort, some damage to the people who live in Cancun, the actual locals. I know they had a lot more damage than the resorts just because their housing isn't built the same. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we made the best of it. Lost a couple days, but we extended a- our stay. And what a way to start your honeymoon! Fucking getting moly. into Cancun, 
coming into a fucking hurricane. I mean, those Delta Gammas still, still fucking shit up all these years later, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the worst part, and I think you actually were a victim to this. Yes, I must I have had about like thirty people text me and say, <laughs> like in the midst of it, I'm like a little panicky, and they're like, "Hey, this is gonna be a great story for the kids." Like I don't give a shit. <laughs> also, like getting hammered on the beach would be an awesome story. Like I don't want to die and be like, "Oh wow, well that was a great story. They yeah. lasted well, happily married." I definitely was a victim of a. Uh, I remember the next day in the group chat, you're like, "Yeah, I've had like 50 people tell us you'll never forget your honeymoon." He's like, "It's my fucking honeymoon. I'm not gonna forget it." But uh, yeah, I had to get the recap of oh, yeah. uh, the the honeymoon from from the the man himself. So uh, it's a pretty epic story, though. You're not gonna forget it. Though. That is a factual statement. No, looking, you know, in hindsight, it's hilarious. It's a funny story definitely one for the kids someday um but cancun was beautiful after that the people of cancun are amazing and uh we had a blast so um that's awesome on to the next one uh next vacation not next honeymoon that's a one and done yeah. thing you know but uh no doubt call that bitch Gwen stefani baby yeah no doubt um yeah but appreciate zach jumping in and you releasing our other episode while I was getting married and having a good time. So thanks, fam. Yeah. Well, before we throw it over to JT and our interview, uh, breaking down his story in the fight game and UFC 254 a little bit, uh, really think we would be doing our listeners a disservice as of uh, not hopping on together for a couple weeks. Obviously, pre recorded the Eddie interview. And uh, I think we got to do a special edition. Yep. of hog and poodle of the last few weeks there's been a lot of shit that's happened uh i know normally we just do one and one a week and kind of maybe throw out an honorable mention but i think uh i don't know about you but i do have about four hogs and four poodles i want to make sure we recognize and talk about a little bit did you uh, prepare any sort of list i do have a list and i checked it twice i'm gonna make sure these hogs are hogging and not Let's go, poodling. Shin. Uh, yeah, I got a few of each, so I'm ready when well, you are. I think you should uh, take the tea box and uh, kick us off. Who's your number one? I guess there's no particular order, at least on my list. So. Me neither. They're in no order, and I was trying to recall stuff that happened while I was away that I can bring up now, so it's a little wishy-washy. I'm just going to throw a few out there. I'll throw two out there, and then you could give me two back, and then I'll do two more. We'll do a little, a little back and forth here. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go my first hog. You guys missed it last week, but I'm going to touch on it here. LeBron James getting it done in six games, winning the ship for Kobe and the Lakers. The king. Um, his fourth finals MVP. I think he's been the MVP every time he's won it. Yes, sir. Um, just studding out. Boston got it done at six like we predicted although uh Jimmy gets buckets kind of helped us earn that sixth game but um yeah, yeah LeBron hog of the week I guess you could mention Jimmy in there for that game five performance but that's besides the point and uh another one that we're sticking with the LA 
and I'm not a big baseball guy, but I have to give it up to the Dodgers down 3-1 in the NLCS. Uh, I was laughing with us, with our group of friends, because we like to bag on a few of our Dodger buddies, but uh, they came through. They did it, and yeah. I think they're winning right now. World Series Game One's going on as we speak. They just bent the braze over, took them, no lube, no spit, sandpaper finish, whooped their <laughs> ass. I think they're going to finish that one in five games or so. L.A., LA might have back-to-back championships. That's a very likely scenario. They look pretty damn good, but uh, yeah, shout out LA Sports. That's the only love you're getting from me on this pod. Fuck you guys. Yeah, real talk. So those are two, two off the bat from my quick recall, total recall. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Total recall, baby. You got a couple for us, Topher. Yeah, man, and I'm gonna throw us fucking. I got two off top, and I'm gonna give him the old geezer category here. Okay. Got some old men. Some old. You've already had the old bull. Now it's time for the young calf. We're nice. going with the old bull, baby. Old bull coming uh, back. First hog of the last couple weeks has got to be Nicholas Sabin. Oh. I mean, Nick Sabin is a fucking institution in the state of Alabama. And when Nick Sabin tests positive for COVID 19. Do you think he's going to somehow not find a way to be on the sideline versus the number two ranked team in the nation? No. Absolutely not. No, sir. Nick Saban, fucking, for those of you that don't know, tested positive, I think, last Wednesday for COVID-19, as well as the athletic director at the university. Somehow, uh, you know, around-the-clock attention, I don't know, getting tested daily, hourly, whatever, fucking had three positives or, or three negatives, excuse me, in a row and was able to coach in the biggest college football game of the season thus far and it may go down as the biggest game of the year um and roll tide they kick some ass did what they do and nick saban is the fucking man <laughs> for somehow pull having that much pull to get to coach i don't i don't know he, he might have still been walking around with COVID 19 but motherfucker wasn't missing the game yeah he could beat a uh, number two team in the nation he could beat COVID. It's given for sure. COVID's the number nineteen and, in the nation, and he'd be number two. So, <laughs> yeah, roll tide, man. They just they just replace their studs every year. It's crazy. And uh, my second hog of the week is Doc Emmerich, and that name might not be familiar to a lot of people, but including he's me, one of the he is a uh, he's got an iconic voice, and Doc Emmerich has been the voice of the NHL on NBC for my entire adult life and uh going back and he's 74 years old and is officially retiring as the lead hockey play-by-play guy for nbc he's called many stanley cup moments and pretty much every hockey memory that i have like on a national stage doc emmerich is the the voice of that um many people that aren't hockey people kind of identify you know the al michaels of Yep. football and Mike Breen of basketball and Doc Emmerich's definitely that for hockey announcing so it'll be interesting to see who fills him spot in the lead role but you know we love broadcasters here on the TB test so gotta give shouts to Doc Emmerich so is, you said you had to go ahead I would say is is that position a uh, a lifelong position like a Supreme Court justice or is it contract based <laughs> by performance 
I, I'm, I'm, I believe it's the latter, but when, like, some of the dudes I just ripped off, Al Michaels, Mike Breen, when you're so good and you're the best of the best at what you do, I mean, you earn that position to get to that point for one reason. I think it, it turns into a Supreme Court type thing because think of Al Michaels, man. He's been the voice of yeah. Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football for years and years and years, and he's going to fucking do that shit until his vocal cords give out on him or he just doesn't want to do it no more. Until he hangs out the mic. Um, for sure. Dope. I got a couple more for you. <clears throat> We've been talking on the pod a lot this season, this year, this NFL season, about the Aaron Rodgers Fuck You Tour. Yeah. And wow, it's been prevalent through five weeks. Actually, I think four four official wins and a bye. I don't know. Five weeks, not week six, though, because uh, talking about old bulls, Tom Brady getting it done against the Aaron Rodgers fuck you squad. Um, I mean. Tom Brady getting it done, blowing out 38 unanswered points. I know there was yeah. a pick six in there, um, but Tom Brady had the boys rolling in Tampa. I saw a stat that kind of blew my mind. This is kind of besides the point, but Aaron Rodgers, that was only his third career pick six. Fucking nuts. Yeah, I heard that too. It's crazy. <laughs> That's wild to hear. But uh, Tom, 43 years old, hogging out. He had a huddy to uh, Gronk, throwing it back in Bill's face. But at the um, geriatric corner today on the hog of the week in the TV test. Yeah, we got some saggy nuts over here. Um, and I'm going to do a little quick touch on two that I've already talked about. But Cancunians, I think that's the proper way. People, the locals of Cancun. Cancunites? Cancunites. Cancunians. Maybe. Uh, uh, Cancunites? That reminds me of like small sword small soldiers. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Archer. <laughs> Anyways. Wow. Hospitality, the uh, you know, keeping us safe. And I know they all had families and stuff in the back of their head, so hats off to them. Go visit them. They need the tourism. Uh Cancunians and our boy Zach. It's a combo. Uh, held it down for the TB test. Temporarily, yep. the TZ test did a great job. Um, yeah, hopefully. He was like a – just to give a little background too, I mean, we can't we can't give Zach Kyle too much of a slurp session on this week's episode, but uh, he was like a – when we say a very late last-minute replacement, I mean, oh, yeah. we, we – he was basically getting called up from AAA in Fresno and playing that night for the fucking Giants. You know, he was – driving straight up and he was down on a whim's notice so yeah zach definitely hawkish behaviors that's the last compliment you're getting on this night yeah so we're done all right that's all my hogs (laughs) for the recap i know i missed a few but i guess short-term memory loss from substances from all those mites yeah uh just a couple rapid fire fucking cody bellinger hit a home run in bottom of the seventh game seven to send the dodgers basically the world series and then he fucking got the first uh, runs of the game produced off his bat again tonight hitting a jack so I got Cody Bellinger fuck LA sports and uh, <laughs> I, the the last one is I don't even know how to say his first name I'm not a boxing guy I'm a UFC mixed martial arts guy uh, but this last weekend was a massive boxing fight Teofimo Lopez I think is how you say his name it's, fuck I'll get corrected lo- by somebody it's on that. Lopez actually <laughs> <laughs> Teofima, I don't know if that's how you say it, but 
I mean, this dude's 23 years old, just unified his weight class, his belts, and was a massive underdog this last weekend by Lomachenka. I don't know his first name. not even going to try to pronounce it, but fucking Russian ass. And, uh, yeah, this dude apparently worked his ass, didn't see the fight, but it was a master class performance from everything I hear. And 23 years old to be world champion, pretty fucking badass. That is pretty badass. Mike Tyson-esque. Well, weight class All right. was that fight. Was that a Fuck, heavy? I, did, I, I avoided saying that because I don't even fucking know. He's okay. a light, lighter guy. I want to say like 140, 150 pounds. I'm sure our, our loyal listener, WhatsApp, dude, he will correct me because he's a, he's a Latin fighter connoisseur. For sure. But uh, I'm just going to rip off real quick. I got four poodles, and all I'm right. going to list them all off and do a quick little... Uh, Lay it on me. Beep. All right. We're calling out franchises today, baby. Right. The Washington football team, apparently next year, they're going to be the football team again. Like, get a fucking mascot. You guys are fucking poodles. <laughs> the Chicago Blackhawks. We're talking hockey again. We had a hockey announcer hog. Chicago Blackhawks, your whole organization, a bunch of poodle-ass bitches. From the top down, apparently GM Stan Bowman wrote a letter to fans and everything, basically saying we're not ready to win right now. What? Well, you know what, bitch? It's your fucking job to put a product on the ice that wins and do your best job. You're a poodle for even making that a public statement. Do your job. Number th- number three, I have Joe Flacco. Didn't even know this guy was on the fucking Jets <laughs> until last week. <laughs> Dude took a 28-yard sack. Like, that's unheard of. Joe, you got to do better than that, bro. And then... Hang him up. The last one, the biggest poodle of the week, has to be Ezekiel Elliott. Oh... Ezekiel Elliott and his big ass fucking nose ring. I loved you when you were at the Ohio State, brother. But man, you just you, you just I don't know what your deal anymore is. But Overrated. Ezekiel Elliott told you know the broadcast team he had had fumbling issues during the season that he was done fumbling, wasn't going to fumble for the rest of the year. And what did he do last night on Monday Night Football or this past Monday? Dude fumbled on back-to-back touches, one a catch, one a handoff, and put the ball on the ground, led to both being turnovers, and uh, cost his team, well, I mean, they got their ass yeah. pretty good, but didn't matter. they set them back big time. So, Zeke, you're the biggest poodle of the week, in my opinion. Beam, what you got? Yeah, Zeke, I heard that was his third and fourth of the year, and he's never had more than two in a season, and it's only week six. Um, Trash. <clears throat> I'm going to piggyback off two of those franchise you brought up franchises first one being the jets for uh signing Le'Veon bell to a 60 million dollar contract and then go ahead and, and just cut him and pay him a vast majority of that although he hasn't produced just make better decisions Le'Veon, i know he's kind of not playing well not up to par but uh that's just a Jets thing to do. Sign a dude they to see. an overrated contract and then cut him. Like, what? Same question I asked Zach last week. Jets going 0-16? Yes. Easy. Fuck yeah. They are. Trevor Lawrence, hope you like New York. Uh, and then off your Zeke call, Mike McCarthy, right? Ooh. Holy shit. I know Dak's injury. I did see that on my honeymoon. I turned on Spanish broadcast for four minutes and caught Dak snapping his ankle. Los taqueros. Yeah, it was bad news, but, uh, you know, heal up there, Dak. But Mike McCarthy, we had players coming out today saying coaching staff just isn't prepared. 
and uh, they haven't looked good, and they got fucking blown out by the Cardinals. NFC West, we know they're hot, but uh, Monday night, primetime, in Dallas, we saw the crying fans in the stadium, so Mike McCarthy, last but not least, going away from sports here, and we know we don't like to get political, but Mike Pence, swat the fucking fly. Get the fly off the head. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jesus. I think that was the most viral thing from that evening. Spin zone, meme creators for fly content, hogs of the week. That but if you would have killed the fly, you know PETA would have been up the ass. Just swat it away. Yeah, know? I agree. I agree. Jeez. So those are my, my three poodles I had. And there's many so, more, but uh, that's what I got. Last thing last thing to wrap it up, obviously Dallas Cowboys organization, your fucking poodles, but I'm going to make a prediction right now in week, before week seven, that, and it's not that big of a bold prediction, I don't think, but the Eagles are going to win the East at six, nine, and one. <laughs> we had a seven and nine team win a division back in the, the beast quake year when yeah. Marshawn had the hold my dick run against the saints. But I, I think that tie is going to come back and ultimately be a big part of the Eagles winning the division. Six, nine and one. Holy shit. That will add still, to, to our NFC East being ass prediction initially. Yeah. I mean, your pick, the giants, they play the Eagles on Thursday night football this week. I mean, they could tie for the lead in the division. It was so, so horrible of a pick, was it? And my, my Panthers pick isn't looking as horrible as it seemed. I know they lost to the bears this week, but, uh, yeah, we got some, we got, you got some good ones and, uh, we also have some shit ones. Uh, I, I mean, I was high on the bears and, uh, Big Dick Nick and the D getting it done, but we'll we'll touch on some of our picks here. We're going to be coming up on the midway point of the season. We'll kind of do another recap, but I think without further ado, we should toss it off to our interview with JT, the Torch Contristano. Our next guest on the TV test is a homegrown homie holding a professional record in kickboxing of 4-0 and a 6-0 mixed martial arts record fighting for promotion such as Dragon House, Tachi Palace Fights, and Bellator. He is none other than JT, the Torch Contrastano. What's good, homie? What's up, guys? It's been a while since I've been called that name. I love it. Yeah, dude, I've been homies with you for a long time. Did I actually even say your last name right? You're just JT. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> it was good. It was nice. <laughs> so I got to start out at the top. Uh, obviously, knowing you well, I can I can guess where your nickname originated from with your uh, gingivitis hair. But I want is is that correct? Is that how you got dubbed with the nickname the Torch? Yeah. So back in my day, man, when you were fighting, you didn't get a cool nickname. You had to earn nicknames, and uh, most of the time it started out as something else. And I went forever without a nickname. And in my college days, like I grew all my hair for you know two years or so, and one day after training all hot and tired, had it spiked up. I looked like, you know, Goku from uh, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> and somebody started calling me the torch from there and it just stuck. So I took it because it was a lot better than the nicknames that were thrown around with everybody else. Yeah, the torch ain't bad. It could have been a lot worse. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. It was between the torch or, you know, Ginger Snap, one of the two, and I like the torch better. <laughs> JT yeah. Ginger Snap. No. <laughs> 
Well, this week we definitely wanted to get you on because, I mean, as you know, this Saturday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, a couple days away, we have UFC 254 on the island, Fight Island, in Abu Dhabi, Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. We'll get into that fight in a little bit, but wanted to talk more specifically kind of about your background and how you got into mixed martial arts. So, uh, yeah, tell people, when did you start training? How'd you get into it? And, like, how'd you get to the point to actually step in the cage and fight professionally? Yeah, so uh, 2006 is when I started training. I had no intention. I was never in fights growing up, you know, never uh, didn't wrestle, anything like that. Played sports growing, all, growing up all through my life, though. I, was a, I played football, basketball, baseball, soccer, volleyball. I was a four-sport athlete in high school. Like, that's all I did with sports. And then uh, looking to play football in college, nobody ever told me I wasn't going to be good enough to be an NFL player you know <laughs> so for me it was just like well that's what i'll continue to do uh my senior year i got hurt and the physical therapist like hey man if you want to get back in shape fast so you can play your college season go do what these fighters are doing um so that's where i got hooked i started going to, to training i got rehab real quick i was doing these muay thai kickboxing workouts uh training with all these mma guys as a senior in high school and then got to the point where my college years uh you know, I was playing football, go to practice, and then go to Muay Thai right afterwards. So I was double dating it myself, just out of pure love for what I was doing. That's savage, man. Where, uh, so when you talk about training and college and everything, where is this at? Where, I know you're from the Fresno region originally, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I played uh, Bullard High School and was looking at, you know, a couple different, uh, couple different colleges. I had a Oregon was one of the colleges I was looking at. We were talking potential scholarship there. Um, you know, there are a few others like West Point. I did get a scholarship to West Point if I wanted to go that route to go play football. And then the injury set me back, obviously, and I ended up staying in town, uh, play for Fresno City. So then the idea was, well, I'll just play for Fresno City, then bounce over to Fresno State and keep playing from there. And by my end of my first year, just I didn't want to tackle people anymore. I was ready to hit them. I was like, let's let's go, let's get in the ring, let's let's do some work. That's it. That's a real yeah. phrase. You don't want to tackle them, ready to hit them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mentioned off the top too that you had a four and kickboxing record when you first started training. Was kickboxing kind of the, the initial skill you gravitated towards? Like I know you mentioned Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu and practicing that, but was kickboxing what really stuck out to just be able to hit people, like you said? Yeah, absolutely. That was that was my love and my passion. From like 2006 to probably 2010, that's all I did. I day in and day out, and I had so much admiration for for strikers. Um, you know, for kickboxing fans or anybody who loves like highlight reel knockouts. Uh, Raymond Deckers was a huge huge uh, inspiration for me. Gokan Saki, Tyrone Spong, all these just huge kickboxers. Um, you know, Mike Tyson was a huge inspiration as well. Just, I love that violent, aggressive style of striking. Um, and, and so that's where my heart really gravitated to. And then MMA obviously had the, the surgeons that it did. Um, you know, Josh Koscheck was a, another Fresno big name fighter who I trained with and seeing what he did in MMA, it was like, all right, well, let's cross over. Let's start with the ground game and really focus and add that to my repertoire. The, the, from Saturday, I touched on at the top, Khabib and, and Gaethje. When those guys make a walk, even in an empty arena, first off, what was your walkout song when you uh, make that walk to the octagon? And secondly, what are the thoughts going through a fighter's mind as they make that, that walk? 
Yeah, RZA Fatal was my walkout song for every fight. Um, that song, you know, Daywalker, that just got me pumped. They took it from, uh, obviously, the Blade Trinity soundtrack. Um, but that song just fit with everything that I was kind of about, that, that motion going into it. Um, actually, what's funny about that song and kind of the, the walkout, so they, when they go to stage you, it goes into a couple different portions. You're backstage with all the fighters. They have a red and a blue corner, and that's how all the fighters obviously set up backstage, so you don't see the other side. Uh, they'll stage one guy before the other. So let's say the blue corner goes out. That's my opponent. He goes out first. Um, so you hear the walkout song. You see like his crowd and, and everybody up front, but you're all backstage. It's kind of dimly lit. And, and once he goes, they move you into the next position. So you're behind the curtains and you can hear the crowd. Uh, you can hear you know people talking, wrestling. You see all the lights going crazy. Um, Finally, they'll they'll hit you with your song, and so where your mind's at is just all over the place. You know, you go from hearing the loudest sounds in the world to just deafening nothing. You know, just can't understand words, and it becomes like a dream state almost. Like looking back on some of my fondest memories, it goes really fast and slows down into to some points where I can just capture brief moments and think think back to them. Um, but for me, backstage, like my trainer was a guy named Mike Pop who had multiple champions uh, through his career. Um, you know, guys like Cole Escobedo, who was the first uh, WEC um, uh, lightweight champion. Actually, I think it was a featherweight champion. Doug the Rhino Marshall, WEC light heavyweight champion. Um, you know, all these big-name guys. So Mike, with me, was constantly in my ear. He was just, dude, you're a Terminator. You were, you were training for this. This was just in my ear, you know, I was... I was invincible at that point. It didn't matter. All that training building up to that moment, you know, that guy was a demon. He'd done more push-ups. He ran more miles. He'd hit the bag more. He trained more. You know, you just build him up to be faster and stronger, and then you finally get to stand across from him, and he's nothing. You know, it's not it's not that, that demon you built up in your mind. So you, all that's just going through your head as you're back behind the curtain. And uh, Mike... You know, he's, a, he's an older guy, and he'd always forget about my song. My song builds and starts really slow, and they want to rush you. All the promotions trying to rush you, get you out there so they can get the fight going so they can stay on time because they're always 15 to, you know, an hour, 15 minutes to an hour behind time. So these guys are trying to push you out, push you out. And Mike each time would get this deer in headlights look. You know, I'd be locked in, focused with him talking me up, and my song would come on. I start to feel it. They start to spread the, the curtains, and I'm ready to walk out, and I'm not going. I'm sitting there just in the moment. I'm trying to soak it up, and I hear my song building. I hear it building. I hear it building, and then finally it's getting to that point, and Mike's, like, scared. These people are rushing me out. They're like, go, go, go. Mike's like, are you okay? What's going on? Are you okay? Are you, we got to do this. You ready? You ready? And then all of a sudden that part of my song hits and it's like, boom, let's go, let's go. We'll drop that in for the listeners too because that'll be a fun one to <laughs> hype up. Um, that's kind of like custom motto. You see that with Tyson, right? Just always building the confidence, just blowing him up before the fight. Like you're a monster, you're a beast, no one can handle you. And it kind of just, it kind of is contagious to the fighter. Would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. Mike, uh, 100%, that's, Mike was my custom auto. I mean, and, you know, you see, uh, like, Cuss had that great quote about, you, you see that, that spark of a flame, and you, you nurture that flame, you build that in your fighter. And especially before you go out there, you need to, you need to have just supreme confidence. Nobody can touch you. You're a god while you're out there. For 15 minutes, you're Superman. 
doesn't, doesn't matter, matter what happens, what goes on. You know, a guy snaps your arm in an arm bar, you beat him with that broken arm. You're coming out of there as a winner. <laughs> so you mentioned having an arm bar stoppage. I'm looking through your record. You had a couple knockout finishes, a couple decision wins, but one in particular that stood out was your Bellator fight against uh, Ryan Tobar, where you had a doctor stoppage. So kind of leading up to that, I mean, obviously the doctor's his job is to step in and basically have mercy on this guy. Like, I know, what was your thought process as you were whooping this guy's ass to the point where this meat grinder and this doctor came in and mercy on the guy? What were you thinking? Yeah, I was, uh, that was excited. That was my first, you know, big Bellator fight, obviously, with the huge promotion. Uh, I think the gate was something like four, four thousand, forty five hundred people there. So it was, it was a good sized crowd. Uh, you know, in my hometown, the Save Mart Center. So I, I was jacked for the whole experience. Uh, going through that fight, it was it was something that you know it played out how I wanted to. The guy thought he was a kickboxer, and you're not going to outstrike me. Like that's that's what I do day in and day out. That's my passion, and you know nobody's a better striker than I am. So for him to stand there and, and go toe to toe with me um, was perfect. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. Um, and knees and elbows are kind of a lost art. That's what Muay Thai's big on. And I cut, you know, I think all but one of my opponents with a knee or an elbow. I always had my opponents bleeding. Um, and so that was that was what opened that up. Ferguson elbowing metal poles and stuff to strengthen those bitches. <laughs> that's it, man. You build up those bones however you can. <laughs> Yeah, as soon as I saw that cut, I was like, it's over. I'm going to expose that thing and tear that thing apart. Shark blood in the water. That's it, man. That's so, it. Just circling, waiting for that moment. So, okay, so obviously striking, that's your forte. You said you never wrestled. How was your yeah, yeah. takedown defense and takedown, is it offense? I'm showing my casual side here. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Yeah, so uh, I didn't, didn't wrestle. I had incredible striking uh, i came from a striking camp of just animals and uh so i learned how to stand up and fight on my feet really well but on the other side if you got me on my back man i was like a turtle just you know like <laughs> rolled over on a shell i was just stuck so uh yeah <laughs> so i devoted a, a few years to legitimately just working on standing up like not even worried about submissions just if you take me down how do i pop back up I want to be back on my feet so I can make you pay for it. And uh, we ended up going to dethrone mixed martial arts where Josh Koscheck, John Salter, uh, Chris Honeycutt, you know, all, all American wrestlers. They were just the biggest wrestlers in the camp and basically, or, you know, from the nation. Josh at the time was number two in the world in the UFC fighting GSP. Um, so for me, it was perfect. It was like, look, I'll trade you my striking for your wrestling. Like, let's, let's partner up and make this work. Um, so I got a crash course in how to not get taken down, and if you are down, how to get up and back on your feet in a hurry. I come from a wrestling background. I don't know if you knew that about me, but um, I started yeah. wrestling when I was four years old. My dad has two brothers. All three of them were diehard wrestlers. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I t actually probably like a couple months ago now, we started doing this a while back, I told... Um, a weight cut story my biggest weight cut in a 24 hour period or like a 18 hour period and it was seven and a half pounds which I know in the MMA world is pretty pussy shit so do you have any crazy weight cut stories 
um, from your time? Like, what's the most you lost in a small period of time, or just anything around yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I got a lot of them. <laughs> when I started, I told you guys I was a football player. I was 210 pounds, you know, of like big, heavy muscle. And obviously, for the fight game, that doesn't work. So we had to retrain my whole body. I started fighting kickboxing at 185, then professional mixed martial arts at 170, and then ended my career at 155. Um, and naturally, I walked around at about 195 pounds. So just to put that in perspective, there was 40 pounds that had to go away for a fight. Um, my last fight was probably my worst one. Uh, we took the fight on two weeks' notice. I was in Hawaii when I got the call saying, hey, you're going to fight this guy. <laughs> so I uh, started swimming in the ocean, working to get the weight off. I was 195 pounds at the time, two weeks out. Uh, came back into town with still like 10 days notice. I was down about 185. Um, and then from there, it was losing 30 pounds. I got down to 178 uh, with like actual dropping weight. And then from 178, I cut 20 pounds in a five-day period of water. Um, I missed the weigh-in, so the fight was at 155. I weighed 158. They gave me uh, they gave me an hour to lose the three pounds or pay a 10% penalty from my purse. And I said, why in the hell didn't we go with that penalty in the beginning? I said, absolutely. That guy can have 10% as long as he agrees to still let me fight and kick his ass tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, I died trying to make that weight cut. I was, I was unfortunately, I was pissing blood that, that day, you know, just trying to keep my body alive to, to weigh in. Right. What was your purse for that fight, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so uh, that one was at uh, Tachi and was uh, three and three. So I got a total of six, and he was entitled to uh, 300 bucks for my original $3,000 agreement. Hey, there you go. Uh, so, so that so you said that was your last fight was that weight cut and all the hell you went through kind of leading up to fight week kind of what made you make the decision to step away or kind of what what ultimately led you to walking away from professionally fighting yeah so uh it wasn't that unfortunately like uh, there was a few injuries after that that kind of took its toll um you know Part of fighting is being lucky and having the body to, to get you there. I was rough on my body, obviously, with all the sports I played growing up and then football, but leading up to a fight, uh, say, five years ago now, so 2015, um, for all you fight fans, I was supposed to fight Randy Couture's son, Ryan Couture. Um, I had a Bellator contract, and that was going to be my first um, you know, main kind of spot. I wasn't the main event, but I was going to be on the main card for Spike TV. Uh, fighting Ryan Couture, um, and that was a much bigger jump. That one was supposed to be 20 and 20, so it would have been a huge jump in commission. Obviously, Bellator still at the time uh, was letting you keep all your sponsorship money, so that's why we stayed with Bellator instead of hopping over to the UFC. Um, and then six weeks out from that, I ended up getting injured and pulling out Patricky Pitbull, uh, took my spot, and then got that classic highlight reel knockout of Ryan Couture. Um, the whole time I'm watching that, I'm like, that was mine, you know. But, that, yeah, that was, a, that was a fun fight. That was a great fight to watch. It was just Ryan Couture's style did not uh, gel well with a striker like me or Pitbull or somebody who was willing to stand and throw technical strikes at him. It's ultimately all about the matchups, and uh, that brings us to finally 
Got to dig in a little deeper this main event on Saturday. Khabib, you know, you talk about the style of the matchup, the best grappler, you know, in the game right now for sure. But uh, Justin Gaethje, the man, he will stand and bang and strike, and he's a dangerous striker and has a wrestling background. First off, I mean, styles make fights. How do you see this one going? Is Khabib just going to keep wrecking shop to go to 29-0? Yeah, this, yeah, this one, one is actually, is actually interesting because uh, Justin Gaethje's style is exactly like the way uh, I was training. We both incorporate that calf kick a lot, uh, stay on the outside, pick people apart. He has obviously the, the extensive wrestling background that I didn't. Um, but with somebody like Khabib, he's not going to use that. It's going to be anti-wrestling. It's going to be staying on top, sprawling on top of that opponent, staying on the outside, circling. Um, so Gaethje should fight Khabib exactly how I would fight him or how my camp would fight him. Um, you know, trying to pick him apart, trying to push him back. Because as long as a wrestler's on his heels, he can't shoot forward at you. Um, and that's the best time to kick a wrestler and to chop his legs down. So, me that rely so heavily on those low leg kicks, like you said, potentially having one of those limbs caught and leading to his demise by being taken down to the ground and kind of mauled. Exactly, exactly. What his best tactic should be is switching levels, keeping him on his heels, stay distance, and then uh, by switching levels, I mean start out, you know, pumping the jab, go up high, and then going down low, uh, yeah. that calf kick and leg kick, but constantly in and out and switching levels high to low, keeping uh, Khabib on his heels because if Khabib's moving forward and coming at you aggressively, that's where his wrestling, and especially once he pins you and gets you on the cage, I mean, that guy's a wet blanket. You're not getting off of you. So what's your official prediction for the fight? Oof, that's a tough. That's a tough, uh, that's a tough spot to be in. I think uh, I gotta go. My heart's gonna go with Gagey, but I think my my safe bet is probably gonna be Khabib's gonna take this one. Um, I think very similar to what you'll see, like the Conor McGregor fight. Um, Khabib's style is just so molly. If he's if he's aggressive in your face, turning it into a dirty fight, it's gonna be real hard. Just grabbing the wrist and smashing over the head. That's it. That's it, man. Yeah, he's a uh, he's something else. I mean, that wrestling's just just killer. So, as a former professional fighter, when you're watching a UFC card, are you just up there like, damn, I'll whoop this dude's ass right here every time? <laughs> those thoughts still go through my head. That, you know, I still train, still work out, still coach people. So those thoughts still go through my head that, uh, man, let's get the call, let's get back in there and do it. Um, but I'm a, I'm a fan of it too. You know, I enjoy watching the sport. I enjoy watching these guys go at it and try and avoid as best I can the, you know, the armchair kind of quarterbacking and the, you know, but it is still in me. It's still in me every time I see a fight that I can still do this. Let's go. So a fight a couple of weeks back, and I love that you've kind of built up your, your background of being a striker first. Got to talk about, I mean, probably at least the most viral knockout in UFC history. And for the listeners that weren't able to see it, I don't know how you missed it. First off, you need better friends to send you cool shit. But uh, Joaquin Buckley, the fighter that ended up having the viral knockout, attempted a leg kick that was caught by his opponent, and his opponent was holding onto his leg. And Buckley, while balancing on one leg, threw... The best way to describe it is a fucking ninja kick to the dude's chin, caught him flush, eyes roll the back of the head, viral knockout. Yeah. That's the greatest knockout of, in MMA history. And if not, what are some of the other ones that kind of come to your mind when you saw that? 
Yeah, that, uh, so very reminiscent of like Edson Barbosa's spinning heel kick that uh, starts that guy. Um, Buckley's was impressive just because it was so unorthodox. It's something that honestly I'd never seen before. Um, I don't think seriously. I mean, people always goof around and you know, you mess around with your friends or at the gym, or you know, you always have those fun kind of sparring sessions, but. That's, That's something that he obviously felt really comfortable throwing a spinning back kick. And the way, um, the way that he parried it, so he parried and caught the kick with his outside hand and then held it there. So he was basically steering him into that spinning back kick. Dude did a good job of still keeping his, his other hand home to protect his face. But, man, that, that kick is so powerful and so strong. That heel goes right through his hand hits him square in the jaw. Yeah. Like I said, I got in the head, and then he got, you know, his head knocked again by hitting the canvas so fucking hard. It was not. Oh yeah, that was that was bad. Oh, I mean, yeah. that picture perfect. The way you balanced him through it. Is that? You mentioned the the Anderson Silva front kick of Vitor Belfort was one that came to mind. Speaking of which, last MMA question I got for you. You know, a lot of people's. Goats, not mine in particular, but Anderson Silva's kind of on that Mount Rushmore for sure. What do you think about a guy getting in the cage at 44 years old, and how do you think he's going to do? Yeah, I, uh, part of me always wishes that he'd hang it up. You know, you, you never want to see your legends be torn down. Because, um, I mean, that guy, he just killed it. You know, he, he was amazing. Everything he did was flawless. Um but the, but the fighter is always the last person to know his career is over. Not to say, uh, <laughs> say his career is over, but you know it's uh, it's hard it's hard to walk away from something you're so passionate about. But eventually, your body fails you. You know you get slower, you'll get older, you'll get you know you won't be as accurate or strong. So you have to evolve. And so I'm kind of curious to see how he's evolved and, and what he's going to do at this age to still be so dominant. Uh, at the same time, it's like, man, you've done it all. Just live off the legacy and uh, enjoy life now, man. Go coach. Go coach. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, going back a couple questions before we move on, do you have any other top contenders for, like, knock best knockout you've seen besides the ones we've brought up? Some of my favorite knockouts, I think, come from Mark Hunt. Just, just uh, the super Samoan walk-off knockouts. <laughs> that is, uh, that is for me, that's the most enjoyable thing to see just because that guy would hit somebody, and before they hit the floor, he's walking back to his corner going, the job's done. Yeah, one that stands out to me was the kind of the opposite of that with UFC 100 when fucking Dan Henderson knocked Bisbee's ass out. And then... That was dirty. Especially, Especially if you see Hendo afterwards said, yeah, I knew he was out, but he talked too much shit. I had to give him that extra one. Yeah, yeah. 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 they had bad blood. I hated Bisping back in the day, but I mean, I like the cheeky guy now as a commentator. Yeah, he does a great job as a commentator. He really does. Yeah. yeah. I remember that was like one of the first UFC cards I watched. I watched like the late 90s I started, and I was just like appalled at the, the extra <laughs> elbow to the jaw. But uh, oh, it was dirty. That's when the ship JT was like, uh, you were talking about the Bellator and letting you keep your sponsors and having different colored sh- shorts and everything. That's when the UFC was flying like that. Now I got the Reebok deal and it screws the fighters, but at least they all look official, you know. That's it, man. That that Reebok deal killed everything. That's why I see a ton of these guys bouncing over to Bellator and 
Yeah. You're right. At least I got the uniform on, though. I mean, it looks clean. We've got to let the fighters eat. Give him some of that money. Right. Yes. Um, so, do you ever see yourself getting in the ring again? Is there any possibility? What percentage? Is that ever happening? <laughs> it depends on the day. You know, uh, Monday nights are still my coaching nights. I go in every every Monday. And, uh, you know, Monday at 530 when I'm stepping in the gym, it's like, I can do this. And Tuesday morning at 730, it's like, I'm glad I'm not doing this. You know, <laughs> wake up in the morning so sore. Um, but I, I love what I'm doing now, man. I, I love my job now, uh, working as a real estate broker. And for me, it's, I think, I think to myself, you know, if my passion's not, not fighting, if my heart's not in it 100%, that's where you get hurt. And I know the 27-year-old me would decimate me now. And so I, I can't have some, uh, some hungry young fighter out there looking to make a name off me. Yeah, that's real. Um, well, let's get into that next. So you mentioned real estate broker. So you hang up the gloves officially. And how'd you get into doing what you're doing now? So I, I got my license eight years ago when I was still fighting. And uh, for me, it was something that I, I looked at it as like, well, I can make a decent paycheck in between fights because you, know, you fight every three to six months. So I figure if I can sell a house or two every three to six months as well, it could be a, could be a good gig. Uh, so then when I stopped fighting, when I had those injuries, uh, they kind of set me back. It was like, well, shit, now it's got to be all in full time real estate and that's got to work or I'm not, you know, I'm not eating this much. <laughs> So, so <laughs> I just took all my athletic, athletic uh, kind of energy, all the hard work I learned through through my life of training and, and sports and just focused that on, on real estate and uh, it paid off. You know, the business took off for me and um, that's where, you know, with anything as success comes, you get more passionate about it. You start to enjoy it more, more knowledge comes, more experience comes. And that's what really kind of helped me uh, grow to love real estate. Yeah, you talk about eight years in the game. I know flipping houses and shit, but uh, your passion for that led to you being the third fucking property bro over here. I know you're flipping <laughs> now. So, what are you kind of looking for when you're going in to look for a fixer upper project? I think fixer upper was the word I meant for getting your chip and Joanna on. But uh, yeah, go in and you know start a project like that. What are you looking for and what are you looking to upgrade and get nasty? Yeah. So what I love about it is each each property is so different, man. It's uh, you know it's always something new. You never know what you're gonna get as soon as you crack open that front door. Um, <laughs> so the first thing uh, always, I mean, it's cardinal rule of real estate: location, location, location. As, as long as that location's there, then we go to the next thing. What's the layout? What's the floor plan of the house? Because those are really the things that I can't change. Um, you know, I can I can change the layout and the flow, the floor plan, but it's not really economically viable to do so most of the time. So aside from moving a wall or two, it's got to feel like home. It's got to it's got to look good and presentable. It just needs some love. Um, so as long as it's the right location, it's got that flow, it's got the good floor plan that I'm wanting. Uh, then it's all the fun cosmetic stuff. Then we get to blow out some walls, put in the new floors, you know, paint the cabinets, paint the house. Um, granite, granite countertops, you know, whatever, whatever the design calls for. Doing the keeping of the archways and houses and That's it. That's it. Yeah, fortunately, uh, Vanessa's uh, she's on top of it. She's my designer. My fiance is my designer going through and. Uh, you know, aside from from every every once in a while where she wants to go real eclectic, uh, she does a bang up job. Oh yeah. Yeah, you gotta let them do what they want to do too. You know. 
That's it. At the end of the day, it's uh, as long as it as long as it all looks good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any crazy real estate stories? Any squatters? Any dudes you had to fight on the job? <laughs> uh, fortunately, not yet. Fortunately, hope hopefully that never happens. Uh, probably my craziest story. I got a video that I'll have to send you guys, but um, this happened about four months ago. I had a 20-acre property out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, my buyer is somebody I'd worked with a lot prior. I've sold him a few other 20-acre, 40-acre pieces, and this is a perfect property for him. Put some almonds on it, wait for development to come out there, and then he sells it off for a big chunk. But this house was there, and it's abandoned and all boarded up. And the guy didn't care, you know, There's, it's torn up. needs to be basically pushed over. But he's like, for whatever reason, he wants to see if he can rehab it. He goes, can I, uh, I want to see the house before it closes. Okay, no problem. So I've got the keys. We go over to the house. You know, there's no way I can even access the house. There's boards on everything. So I was like, oh, this is an easy day, you know, like not going to be able to see the property. We walk around the back and there's a door that's been kicked in. The board's been ripped off. Like, oh, oh, shit. Well, this just got, got interesting. interesting. Uh, <laughs> so we're looking at this situation, and obviously, you know, the house is boarded up. There's no electrical there, so it's dark as can be. You know, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a 100-degree Fresno beautiful day, and the house is hot. Can't see a thing, and this guy's looking at me like, well, let's go check it out. Like, let's go check it out, man. I, there's going to be people in there. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> so... We talk, we talk it over a little bit. He goes, no, 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 I want to go check it out. So uh, I go, okay, fine, let's let's go check it out. So we put the lights on our cell phones. Um, I start recording because I don't know what's going to happen. And in case something does happen, I want to be able to be on the, the right side of everything. Um, for this situation, I, I do have my CCW, and I did bring my, my handgun. And, you know, that's obviously last resort. Don't want to pull that out. I'll, I'll fight with anybody. But when you fight on the street, it's like, man, I don't know, you know, a little 120-pound dude can have a glass bottle or a knife. That's not a winning recipe for success. Um, so, anyways, to speed up, speed up the story, we start going through the house. I announce myself uh, multiple times, and uh, he's behind me, and he's – driving me insane because he won't walk next to me he's five to ten steps behind me the entire time i'm just like dude, dude come come at least get on my tail just so i know you're there like you know so uh, we go through the house and i'm using every little you know movie video game scenario i can think of in my head like okay you walk through a house clear the corner left to right you know like make sure the corners are safe and so uh, i'm like the whole time thinking this isn't in my job description like where where, where, where what am i doing here and the house is a terrible layout to where, you know, both the rooms are down the hallway are matched up together. Normally they're kind of offset. You know, you have a room and then a little bit of hallway and then a room on the other side. Well, this one is directly across from each other. So if I go left and somebody's right, I'm in trouble. This guy's 10 feet behind me. Like, it could be a bad day. So, you know, I start going through the house, work up the courage, tell myself, obviously nobody's here. I announce myself. You know, if they are, they're probably passed out. It's, it's going to be fine. Uh, my heart's jumping out of my chest. Clear the whole house. It's got this doomsday apocalyptic, you know, look. Cabinets are everywhere. The kitchen's torn up. The counter, the center island's like on the floor, you know, and there's light coming in from little spots where they're shining through the roof because it's just so dilapidated. Here's Wayne here the cheap at this point. Oh, dude, that's, that's all. Just horror, horror movie after horror movies in the back of my head. But finally, I take a huge sigh of relief, dude. I think it's all over. And, uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> my client, as we're getting ready to leave, goes, well, what's down that basement? What basement? Walk around the corner, there's this little door that's leading down with steps into a basement. I have no Dude, looking, looking on tax records, there's no basement on tax records. My seller's never been in the house. She never told me anything about a basement. So now I'm freaking out again. My heart starts racing. We start walking down the stairs to this basement. And you can kind of see that it's not just like a little small, like five by five basement for storage. Like it's a full living room, like big bed. Like it's another, it's another level. <laughs> my heart's just jumping, man. And I'm going down the stairs and then all of a sudden, you know, our lights are shining and I can see a silhouette and my heart just stops. I announce myself again, no response. I take another step down. There's little whites of, of the eyes right there. That's a person. Hello? Hello? No response. Dude's not moving. Take another couple steps down. See, it's a Tony Stewart cutout hung up on the wall. Oh my heart was going through my chest, dude. I thought for sure I had, I was hand on my hand on my weapon. I was like, dude, I almost shot Tony Stewart. This Tony Stewart fathead just chilling in some reserved. Oh, dude, I was I was dying. I was like, definitely never clearing the house again. That's not my job description. Holy shit! I thought you were definitely ending that story with a dead body or some shit. <laughs> No, unfortunately, uh, no human dead bodies in that house. Couple cats, couple, uh, couple random things, but uh, no, no, no human. Fucking Tony Stewart chilling. Uh, just hanging out, man. Damn, that was good. You lived up, to, lived up to the expectations. I was like, I don't know where this is going, but <clears throat> yeah, it's all on video. Like I said, I'll, I'll shoot it to you guys. You can check it out. <laughs> nice. You've been killing it in the real estate game. We'll put your social media handle so people can follow you. Um, you know, I see you grinding, selling properties weekly, maybe daily. I don't even know. What is yeah, it? Yeah. What does it take to get to that level that you're at now? I know you mentioned some stuff carried over from your fight, your professional fighting life, and some skills maybe. Um, what's it take to get to that level from average Joe, someone who's like, "Hey, I need a career change. I want to maybe get into real estate." What's it gonna take them to get to where you're at? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to go with that. For one, it, it, I didn't see any success at it until I dove into it full time. So nothing propels you to succeed in life by dire necessity. And that's why I found myself. Um, so basically, uh, I mean, to give you a statistic by the National Association of Realtors, within five years of getting your real estate license, 87% of the people will fail or leave the business. So in one form or another, real estate has a higher turnover than restaurants. So if you told your best friend, like, hey, I'm going to go open a restaurant, all the advice he would give you for that is basically the advice you should be getting about being a real estate agent. It, uh, that being said, there's so many great avenues. I absolutely love it. Um, there's so many opportunities that stem from it, but for sure it's something you have to do full-time. you got to be willing to give up weekends and out, uh, you know, late nights, work long hours, at least to get yourself established and started. Um, when I started, it was 2012, and you know, I was a 24-year-old kid. Nobody was trusting me with their biggest asset in life. So I had to learn those contracts backwards and forwards. I had to, I had to work on... Uh, being just as clear and concise as possible, trying to beat everybody with experience, with expertise. And that's what I try to craft. I'm better than everyone else. I know they've been doing it longer, but let me show you why I'm better. 
and, yeah, and get those clients, clients like the one you described in your fucking Tony Stewart cutout story that come back <laughs> That's, that's it. Being willing to do the little extras. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, well, shit, brother. It was uh, great catching up with you. Nick, you got any other questions? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm going to throw Riza Fatal on here, though, just for the people. Get them hyped up. Yeah. Track slapping on the beat. And uh, as always, JT, fucking great catching up with you, brother. Wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully, we get some good fights this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was great sitting down with you guys. Thank you. And JT, before we go, do you want to give a little shout out to, I don't know, your social media or business or anything like that? Yeah. 155 Torch. I still got my fighter handle on my Instagram, but uh, still rocking 155 Torch. Any of your real estate needs, man, I'm local, I'm global. If you're looking to buy or sell, I can help, uh, you know, not just in my local Fresno market, but internationally. I've got contacts and clients. Connections, connections everywhere so feel free to call me with any questions i'm an open book man help happy to help people learn and, and get into that industry and uh buy and sell appreciate it oh, yeah, brother. he'll uh sell your house or beat your ass your choice that's right that's right <laughs> all right man as always good to have you appreciate you it. guys take care all right thanks Blade. ready to die i was born ready motherfucker
Rivers and roads make the same claim. Each one of them tasted the I fight back with a vengeance. The father of your descendants. And I can't be deflected by your silver cross pendants. Bloody holy water. You make the false images. Watch we for the sickle. Ah, your life diminishes. Sting like the scorpion. Strike with the force again. My blood is known to be vitalized. The corpse of men. In the last days, they said the dead will walk again. The blind, deaf, and the dumb will talk again.